This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I'm Brina Garen, and you're listening to Hex Positive. Welcome, witches. This is episode 32 of Hex Positive. I'm your host, Brie Nickaren, and in the immortal words of Margaret Hamilton, I'm melting! Have I mentioned how much I hate summer in high humidity environs? Because I do. Ugh, nothing for it. This is what I get for living in Virginia. Feckin' swamp. And I know other people have it worse, so really, I shouldn't complain. At least I have air conditioning. Speaking of which, a few quick updates before we begin. Some of you may have seen my posts on Tumblr talking about the ongoing issues with my car. Thankfully, it is now fixed, and I have air conditioning in my car again, which is going to make commuting to work and traveling to market events a lot less stressful. I'm pretty sure you're not supposed to have heat exhaustion more than once a week. That sounds dangerous. So many, many thanks to everyone who sent in orders or signal boosted or dropped something in my tip jar. As always, this community is amazing. And even though most of us are broke, myself included, we always pull together. Uh, please make sure you keep that energy going. There are lots of folks who need help with bills and emergency repairs and emergency heat relief out there right now. So please continue that compassionate attitude and just be there for each other. I will be at the Apothecary and Crystal Witch Market at Diversity Richmond in Richmond, Virginia on Sunday, August 7th from noon to 5 p.m., which is going to be so much easier now that I don't have to broil on the drive there. This is a free event, and all the local vendors with brews and potions and stones of all kinds are turning up for the day. If you love herbs and potions and shiny rocks, this is going to be the market for you. I'll be there as usual with my books and witch kits and some brand new stickers, which I just know you're going to love. I have found a supplier that makes vinyl stickers, so those are going to be on my table and afterwards they will be up in the shop. So if you're in the area, please make sure you stop by and say hello. I love hearing from you and I love seeing you at my table. I am never too busy to say hi or shake hands or take a picture, whatever you want. We are seeing a resurgence in COVID numbers. So if you're attending this event or any other big public gathering, please do wear a face covering. And if you feel sick, err on the side of caution and stay home. We would love to see you there, but we also want people to be safe. So be safe. 
I did forget to mention it last month, but I was a guest on the Salty Witches podcast back in June. Michael and Austin, who are amazing people, had me on for a lovely chat about books and the state of the community, as well as a few things that kind of tie into the subject of today's episode. So definitely go and give that a listen. And subscribe to their show if you are down for some delicious, delicious tea. Also, I want to give a quick shout out to my good buddy Maggie at Magpie Witchery over on TikTok. Thank you for featuring my work in your videos and for your ongoing efforts to educate your audience. If you're not following her channel yet, you really should be. So thank you, Birdie, my dear, and best of luck with your shop and all your current endeavors. This month, I'm back to working solo again, talking about community issues, and this one is kind of timely. A few months ago, I saw a bunch of posts going around discussing a topic that is near and dear to my heart, volunteer educators in the witchcraft community. And a number of people involved in that discussion raised some very good points about what it means to be a volunteer educator and, perhaps more importantly, what it doesn't mean. As someone who's taken on this role and is seeing more and more people on social media either styling themselves as educators or being sort of railroaded into the role or actually stepping up, doing their homework and, you know, taking that mantle on themselves, I think it's time to address the topic. So today we're going to talk about it. Everything from what makes a person an educator to how to approach them with questions, to the importance of setting boundaries and fact-checking before you pass on information. And of course, we'll be touching on the topic of gatekeeping, which has become kind of a buzzword, and how those of us who choose to become volunteer educators can become better guides for our little corners of the community. So let's start from the top. It's sort of an unspoken truth within the witchcraft community. Most of our educators are volunteers. There are people who teach about witchcraft professionally, and by professionally, I mean from an academic standpoint, through history and so forth, or anthropology or sociology, or with actual classes on the craft uh, that you sign up for and pay money to attend. But to the best of my knowledge, witchcraft in and of itself is not something you can take as an elective in established brick-and-mortar schools. There is no lab you can sign up for to learn how to make a crystal grid. There is no extracurricular course in astrology you can sign up for that is endorsed by your school or university. The vast majority of the witches who are out there offering their expertise on YouTube, Tumblr, TikTok, Facebook, personal blogs, Discord, whatever, are doing it purely out of the goodness of their hearts and a desire to share knowledge. At least we would hope that's what they're in it for. Sure, some of us have witchy side projects, <clears throat> like books, that we promote, as part of this, and maybe if we're lucky, we'll make some money from publications or sponsors, but for the process of the education itself, we ain't getting paid. Also, 
the vast majority of witchcraft educators are not professional educators. Sure, there are some who actually have some educational background or experience with teaching, but again, most of us are sharing because we want to or because we feel called to, not because it's our actual nine-to-five job. So when you're interacting with someone on a social media platform who's providing informational content about witchcraft or paganism, just keep all of this in mind. Most of us are not professionals. Most of us aren't getting paid for our time. Some of us are just sharing our own journeys, and absolutely none of us are obligated to answer anyone's questions. I'm not saying that to be like, so you better be grateful, but just as a reminder to be nice, be polite. Personally, I think it's ridiculous that we have to remind people to act decently, but sometimes the internet makes folks forget that the people on the other end of a DM or a blog or a video are, well, people. It's also important to keep in mind that not everyone sharing information about witchcraft on the internet wants to be an educator. Sometimes they're just sharing part of their own journey, and they're not looking to be put into a position of influence. No one is obligated to step into the role of an educator unless they want to do it. It can't be forced on someone just because they seem knowledgeable, or have a good-looking social media presence, or because they've been at the craft for insert length of time here. A practitioner can be doctorate-level knowledgeable, with decades of experience, and they still wouldn't be obligated to educate others. And they're allowed to set their own boundaries, up to and including stepping back out of that role if they so choose. So that's just a bit of advice for my newer witches who might be eyeing up that role or feeling pressured toward it. Don't let anyone push you into becoming an educator just because they seem to think that you seem knowledgeable, and don't feel obligated to become one just because you've had a few years of experience and you feel like now you have to turn around and teach. I see this a lot on social media, people posting things like, well, I've been at this for two whole years, so I guess I should probably start answering questions now. Like, oof, honey, slow down. (laughs) You're still figuring yourself out. Please don't feel like you have to turn around and teach just because now you understand the basics. It is perfectly okay if you want to answer questions, but it's also okay just to focus on your own journey. There's kind of an unfortunate tendency for people on social media to latch on to perceived sources of information, immediately put that person on a pedestal, and start asking them questions, expecting them to be an infallible source of knowledge. Naturally, this is going to be fraught with disappointment, because sure, you might be asking an experienced witch who can give you the answers you want, but you might just as easily be asking someone who has no idea what they're talking about yet, or has no idea what the answer to your question is, or worse, someone who thinks they know what they're talking about, but doesn't know or doesn't care how wildly off-base some of their ideas about witchcraft are which is why we don't consider witch talk or witchy social media by themselves a credible resource, because at least half of it is a free-for-all of people pulling things entirely out of their asses. 
And personally, I don't trust information coming from anyone who has to open every conversation by saying they're an nth-level priest or priestess of whatever. That's not a credential, that's just a power play. Anyway, we'll come back to social media in a minute. Some witches share their journey, but just aren't interested in answering questions. And even witches who are open to answering questions and providing a little guidance are allowed to have boundaries and guidelines for what they will and will not discuss. Some of this is a matter of purview. If you have a question about crystal magic, it doesn't make much sense to ask it of a witch who doesn't work with rocks. And some of it is a matter of courtesy. Some witches have subjects that they just don't want to discuss. And if the question is simple enough that you can Google it, maybe think twice before you ask someone. We are not search engines. And this is where it's important to discern between asking for information and asking for a recommendation. If you're asking what the magical properties of something are, maybe go to the search engines first or crack a book and do a little bit of research. And then if you're not sure then maybe ask someone. If you're debating what plant or crystal to use for a particular spell and want suggestions, that's something to ask other witches. Information versus recommendation. And since I know someone's going to go, but that's gatekeeping, let me be perfectly clear. No, it isn't. Gatekeeping is when there is an arbitrary boundary put into place that makes no sense and doesn't need to be there. Practitioners of color saying, no, you can't appropriate our traditions, is not gatekeeping. Being told that you need to be mindful and respectful of closed practices is not gatekeeping. A person saying that they can't or don't want to answer questions on certain topics is not gatekeeping. Older witches telling you that new practitioners can't work with deities and shouldn't use this or that type of magic simply because you're new, that is gatekeeping. This is not gatekeeping. This is volunteer educators asking you to do your own work. We can provide advice and guidance, but we're not going to walk the path for you. There are no shortcuts in learning witchcraft. You can't gain skill or knowledge faster by just constantly asking for other practitioners to cliff notes concepts and histories that take time and effort to study and understand. We can direct you to sources, but you still have to read them yourself. We can recommend spells, explain the mechanics, and tell you how to do them, but you still have to cast them yourself. You still have to practice yourself you got to do the legwork. Also, something important to remember, not everyone remembers or takes time to include sources or to clearly state when they're putting forth an element of their UPG, unshared personal gnosis, basically personal beliefs that may or may not be shared by a wider community. If someone is making a claim especially where established systems of mythology, religion, science, or history are involved, they should be able to provide a source for their information. And you, as the recipient of that claim, are well within your rights to ask them to do so. Now, this isn't meant to be some sort of gotcha. It's something that should be standard practice. If someone is making a statement that they claim is objectively true, they should be able to back it up. 
if they're making a statement based on what they personally believe or based upon their own experiences, that is fine, but it should be made clear. This is where we circle back around to social media. I've touched on this topic before. Short-form discussion and infographics have kind of come to dominate online spaces when it comes to the conversation on witchcraft. Now, there are some people who do put in the time and the research and do their best to make things clear and provide sources and actually, you know, know what they're talking about. But others, lots of others, how can I put this politely, don't. And the unfortunate thing is that thanks to various algorithms, the flashy, catchy, trending videos aren't usually the ones that have in-depth concepts to share. And it's because they're not meant to be super educational or to provoke a dialogue. They're just meant to be entertaining or to get views. And while there's nothing inherently wrong with that, when that's what's flooding the tags associated with your community, just the same trending memes put out by people who are more or less just recycling what they're seeing, and you don't have outside context to put it into perspective, that can result in a person having a very narrow and incomplete view of what witchcraft is, and how it works, and how the wider community functions. This is why we keep seeing Uncle Bucky's Big Blue Book recommended as a beginner source for witchcraft when it absolutely is not, and why we have to keep reminding newer witches that the burning times were not a thing and Christians didn't steal pagan holidays. And don't think I'm giving literature a pass either, because we've seen a flood of basically the same books appearing on Amazon in the past few years, and we've been seeing it from publishers for decades just the same set of basic information recycled with different author names and pretty covers with little to nothing new to add to the conversation. For those in the community who keep bitching about how newer witches never seem to want to progress beyond the baby witch stage, have you ever stopped to consider that maybe it's because there's just no fucking guidance for them and almost no easily accessible resources that go past that Witchcraft 101 level. If that's all that's available, that's where they're going to stay, especially if people are telling them that they cannot progress further without X level of experience or X other resource that they just can't find. And on that note, let's turn to my fellow volunteer educators, to anyone who's already operating in that capacity, or thinking of doing so, or claiming to do so. Hold on to your butts, it's about to get salty. We'll be back with more Hex Positive after this brief sponsored break. This episode is brought to you in part by Portland Buttonworks. Do you like buttons? Of course you do. Have you ever had a great idea for one but just been like, Darn it! If only I had the resources and equipment! Well, fret no more. Portland Buttonworks is just what you need. Portland Buttonworks creates custom pinback buttons in four different sizes, plus magnets, hand mirrors, and bottle openers. Download their templates and create your own designs, or use their new Design-O-Matic for quick formatting. You can order just a few custom items, or order in bulk for merchandise or big events. 
I've been getting buttons from Portland Button Works for years, and their quality is always top of the line. Ever wonder where the Hex Positive buttons came from? Well, now you know. And once you're done making your buttons, make sure you visit the newly rebranded Spiral House Shop, a thoughtfully curated catalog of pre-made buttons, zines, books, comics, tarot cards, and other curiosities, Spiral House focuses on intersectionality, the personal as political, witchcraft, magic, and occult topics. There's a good chance that they have exactly what you're looking for. Visit the main Buttonworks at portlandbuttonworks.com and check out the Spiral House Shop at spiralhouseshop.com. Help support small business and get your buttons from Portland Buttonworks. Fighting fascism one button at a time since 2012. If you like what you're hearing on this podcast and would like to help support the show, make sure you visit the Willow Wings Witch Shop. There you can pick up copies of Grove Daughter Witchery, The Sisters Grimoire, and Pestle Work, or shop for specialty items you won't find anywhere else, like witch web kits, vials of my homemade banishing powder, and podcast merch. Use code HEXPOSITIVE to get a special surprise with your order. Visit brinagarin.wordpress.com shop and place your order today. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. And now, back to the show. I want to preface this by saying that while I myself am a volunteer educator, I don't claim to be perfect by any means. I have made mistakes, and it is highly likely that I will make more in the future. But I did go to school to be a teacher, and I like to think that I know a little something about what it takes to be an educator because of that. So I'm going to share, and I'm going to be just a little bit salty. And if what I say rankles a bit, maybe re-examine your practices as an educator and consider it a learning opportunity. Because we are, all of us, still learning, even as we teach. Or at least we should be. Lifelong education is a standard in secular education. So should it be for witches. There are three major things you need in order to be an effective volunteer educator in any community. You need to know what you're talking about. You need to be able to communicate your information clearly and you need to be patient. Platforms and finding your niche and learning how to interact with your audience on the socials, all of that comes later. First and foremost, you have to know your shit. And that means studying before you start and fact-checking before you answer. Yes, even if you're 99% sure you know what you're saying. If you're going to be an educator, you become responsible for the information that you're passing on to others, and you have a duty to make sure that what you're saying isn't bullshit. I still fact-check things before I answer questions, even if I'm almost certain that I'm right. 
because I want to be able to back up what I'm saying if I'm questioned or contradicted. And moreover, I don't want to pass on bad information. And if you don't care whether you're passing on bad information or can't be arsed to research your claims, you should not be an educator. Full stop. Even if you're speaking from your own experience, and you definitely should have some before you begin, just on principle, you still need to be able to back up any claims you make which have a factual basis, like history or science, or have established mythos in the community or in academia. For example, if you're saying, in my experience, lemons are great for hexing, you may want to include a little blurb about why that is, or maybe research the use of citrus fruits in other magical traditions to see if there's a precedent. Because you might know that certain types of Italian folk magic use lemons for baneful magic, but your audience might just associate them with cleansing because that's the wider makeup of the established lore. Austin from Salty Witches actually cited this on his TikTok as a, a very good example of the need for this discussion in social media. There's a concept that comes into play here called the curse of knowledge. This is when a speaker assumes that because they have access to certain information and understand exactly what they're talking about, that their audience also has access to this same information and automatically understands what they're saying. And we know that this is not the case. And this leads to my second point. You need to be able to communicate effectively. You can have all the knowledge in the world on a given subject, but if you can't get your point across in an understandable fashion, none of that matters. The issues with needing to spoon-feed certain people their information notwithstanding, if your audience fundamentally doesn't understand what you're saying, you are not communicating effectively. And yes, sometimes this will mean pausing to define terms either directly or with context or explaining concepts in greater depth before continuing. Communication skills are vital if you want to be an educator. If you don't have them, learn them before you start and polish them as you go on. Some of this will come with time and practice. You don't need to be a great writer or a great speaker, but you do need to know how to be clear and concise and how to use words and terms correctly in your material. Please, please, please learn the difference between alter, A-L-T-E-R, meaning to change, and alter, A-L-T-A-R, meaning a place of offering. And you also need to know where your limits are. If you don't know the answer to something, or if it's outside of your purview, or you just don't have the energy that day, don't be afraid to direct the person asking the question to another resource. You are more than allowed to do this. And lastly, patience. You must, must, must be patient. You are going to be asked questions that you may think are silly or obvious or coming completely out of left field. You're likely going to be asked certain questions over and over and over and over again. 
Did I mention it's repetitive? You need to be prepared for this. And you need to remember that what is common knowledge to you might not be common knowledge to the person asking the question. Like I said, this stuff is not part of our general education. We are seeking it out on our own, often with little to no guidance, and people don't know what they don't know. If you don't have the patience to deal with repetitive questions or to take a moment to be considerate when answering a question you figured out years ago, don't be an educator. Not even you shouldn't. Just don't. It may seem like I'm being a little curt on that last point, but I have heard entirely too many witchlings talk about bad experiences they've had with educators in workshops or on Discord servers or on social media. Things like being told not to question blatantly bad information, being ignored or brushed off when they try to engage in the discussion because they're newbies. Being outright bullied or insulted or called stupid because they asked a question about something the moderator or discussion leader considered common knowledge. This steams my clams like few other things can, and I'm speaking directly to other so-called educators in the community right now. If you cannot be bothered to have even a modicum of patience or decency when talking to newer witches, if you can't regulate your server or discussion group to keep this behavior from happening, you should not call yourself an educator. You should not be in a position of influence, and you should be ashamed of yourself. If you choose to become a community educator to provide information and guidance to newer practitioners to help them along the path you have already traveled, you have a responsibility to do so in good faith and not act like an elitist asshole. There is a vast yawning chasm of difference between telling someone to do their homework and telling them that they're stupid and not worthy of participation. This is the kind of behavior that drives people away from the community. I know we talk about how not every witch who gets into witchcraft is going to be here in five years. How many of them do you think leave because they run up against groups that make them feel unwelcome because they're new. And for anyone who's found themselves in a situation where a group has become unwelcoming or where you've been bullied for answering questions, please, please, please don't think that that's going to happen anywhere you go. I promise there are plenty of people out there who are so much kinder and more patient and won't call you stupid just for wanting someone to explain the concept of grounding and centering. As someone dear to me has said, don't waste your time on bullies and bitches. There are always, always other witches. I do want to take just a moment before we wrap things up and talk about some of the gatekeeping that we see and why so much of it is bullshit and what we as educators can do to maybe make things a little better. This will circle back on those three concepts I just talked about. 
So very often we see these lists of things that novice witches should not do. And a frequent flyer there is what types of spells are to <clears throat> advanced for newer witches. My esteemed colleague Trey Dorn brings up an excellent point in episode 36 of BS Free Witchcraft, Fight a God. Excellent listening. I highly recommend it. I've always found this idea to be kind of a useless concept. How is any one general type of spell more advanced than any other? I mean, sure, a lot of us recommend starting with protection, including myself, but that's just because the first thing you should do with any new venture is make sure that you're working safely. Seems like common sense. Not to mention, a lot of the techniques involved with protection magic then map onto things that you will learn later. And why are love spells and curses advanced as opposed to healing magic or luck charms? Don't they have just as much chance of going awry as anything else? Also, why is it only curses that supposedly rebound on the caster when everything else seems to only ever go outward? The mechanics do not make sense. The universe doesn't care about your personal moral alignment. When spells don't work, it's not like the movies. In all likelihood, it's not going to literally blow up in your face. Trust me, you'll keep your eyebrows unless you've leaned too close to the candles. Nine times out of ten, if a spell doesn't work, it just doesn't work. Poof. Nothing. Nada. If a spell does backfire in some way, that's not necessarily due to a degree of difficulty or a level of experience. Spells just have unintended consequences all times, like literally everything else in life. It's that old line, even the wisest cannot see all ends. Our actions have consequences that we can't always predict. Experience might teach you to think through your actions more carefully or show you which loopholes most need closing, but that's never going to mean that your mechanics are foolproof or that the results of your spell work will be completely predictable. And besides this, there doesn't ever seem to be an indication with these posts of when a novice witch is allegedly ready to do these allegedly advanced things. There's rarely a set level of experience or a milestone for accomplishments suggested, just this nebulous, you are nouveau witch, therefore you are not capable, disguised behind a thin veneer of it's for your own good. Basically, it's the witchy equivalent of that obnoxious parental standby, because I said so. No one liked hearing it as a kid, and no one wants to hear it now. And furthermore, most of these practitioners are solitary. Who the fuck is going to test them? Who's going to make them sit for the witchy bar exam to determine whether they're ready to try these more advanced techniques? There's no further information, no offer of guidance, no idea of how to tell if you're ready, just someone on the internet being a gatekeeping douche and claiming they're trying to help. Or, to be charitable, someone perpetuating the echo chamber, just repeating what they've heard. It doesn't help newer witches to say, do this or don't do this, unless you're clear on what you're saying and also tell them why you're saying it and actually have some reasoning behind it that makes sense. And no, you're not ready or some undefined bad thing might happen 
is not a line of reasoning that makes sense. If you're going to try and get a point across, take some time to think it through and communicate clearly rather than just perpetuating what amounts to a soundbite. If you can get your meaning across in one sentence, that's fine. But if it needs some explanation, then explain! You don't need to write a novel, just clarify. And if you can't explain the reasoning behind the statement, stop and think about whether you understand the statement properly yourself. Because if you can't explain the reasoning, you might not understand it, and you should probably pause to work that out before you try to teach it to someone else. For example, I see this one a lot. Newer witches shouldn't work with deities. This is obviously bullshit on its face, and it's a reductive statement that doesn't allow for nuance or discussion. There's no differentiation between working with as simple veneration versus working with in a dedicated devotional relationship, no explanation of the difference between the two, and more importantly, no reason for the rule. What someone might mean by the statement is, hey, make sure you're not rushing into spiritual commitments you might outgrow later, or do your homework before you go picking deities or pantheons to dedicate yourself to. But that's not apparent at all, is it? And just for the record, there is nothing stopping a new witch from practicing veneration. Making offerings, bringing petitions, or giving thanks is not a commitment, and it's not a direct working relationship either. And you're free to make those commitments later or change your mind on whom you decide to venerate at any time along the way. So yeah, if you're going to set a boundary, make it make sense. And if someone tells you as a newer witch that you can't or shouldn't do something, ask them why. If they can't or won't give you a clear explanation, find someone who will. Anyway, thanks for coming with me on this short but wild ride. This is a topic that I've been meaning to get to for a while, since it contains a lot of my pet peeves, and is also an ongoing issue for many members of the community. I do want to thank all of the witchy volunteer educators out there who are doing their best to help others with good information, thoughtful guidance, and so much patience. Y'all are fighting the good fight, and even if you don't hear it often, I promise that what we're doing makes all the differences for the beginners who are starting out. We don't have to be perfect, it just matters that we're there. And... I can say that with confidence because once upon a time, I was one of those baby witches with no idea what I was doing. And it was volunteer educators in the online community who helped make me the witch I am today. What we do matters. So thank you. And just to finish this off properly, I don't want to go on a big long diatribe about volunteer educators in the witchcraft community without introducing some of them to all of you. So make sure you tune in later this month for the Volunteer Educators Showcase, where you'll hear sound bites from a number of wonderful volunteer witchy educators with their own shows, their own platforms, and their own unique take on modern witchcraft. I highly recommend literally all of them 
who have turned out for this. And I am super excited for this event. I've been working on it for months and I'm looking forward to sharing it with all of you lovely listeners. So please look for that a little later this month. And I will have a big old set of show notes on my WordPress with links to all their platforms and information. So you can go and find it and, you know, spruce up your witchy experience. So that about wraps it up for this month. Please remember to rate and review on Apple Podcasts, check out my Patreon and the Willow Wings Witch Shop, and show some love to our fabulous sponsors and to the good people on the Nerd and Tie Podcast Network, where you'll find everything from live play tabletop RPGs to our fabulous sibling show, BS Free Witchcraft. Until next time, I'm Brina Garen, reminding you to stay safe, keep wearing your mask, and stay hydrated. It's hot out there. Hex Positive is a proud member of the Nerd and Tie Podcast Network. Check out everything they have to offer, including our sibling podcast, BS Free Witchcraft, over at nerdandtie.com. Intro and outro music by Kevin McLeod. For all the latest updates, follow at hex underscore podcast on Twitter. You can also follow me at at Brina Garen on Twitter and Instagram. For more information on my books, you can check out my WordPress and my Amazon author page. And if you'd like to support the show, please visit patreon.com slash Stay safe, wash your hands, and remember, always practice safe hacks. <laughs>